Welcome back to the program. We live in an age in which everything has become politicized. The coffee we drink, the food we eat, the shows and movies we watch, and the cars we buy. All of them today seem to convey some kind of political message. Where once things represented class or taste or education, today it's all about politics. Even in nonpartisan races around the country, political ideology becomes the central issue. So what impact does that have on our ability to teach politics, to teach citizenship or democracy or even science in the classroom? We're going to talk about that today with my guest, Paula McAvoy. She's a philosopher of education and an associate program officer of the Spencer Foundation, and she's the co-author of a new book entitled The Political Classroom, Evidence and Ethics in Democratic Education. Paula McAvoy, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for being here. Does the situation, given how politicized everything is today, does it make it essentially impossible to teach politics and democracy in the classroom today? No, we would not say it's impossible. And in fact, the book is based on a study of many teachers who are doing it. And so um, the study looked at specifically high school teachers who teach social studies primarily with, primarily with 11th and 12th graders. But it's certainly challenging given all of the issues that you just described at the opening, um, but it's not impossible. And there are many teachers doing it, and we hope that we can inspire more to do so. Talk a little bit about the arc of this problem. It wasn't always the case. When uh, some of us grew up, there were classes in citizenship and democracy, and science wasn't controversial. Talk a little bit about how this has impacted the classroom and a little bit about the arc of the problem itself. Well, since really the mid-'70s and early 1980s, the United States has become increasingly polarized and partisan, and we've all sort of felt the heightening tensions of the last um, federal elections and and how much animosity there is and uncivil discourse in the public sphere. And so this has created new challenges for the classroom. There are teachers now who worry that if I bring up any political issue, um, there could be parental pushback or the administration's not going to support me. Um, and as you said, some things that you bring up in the classroom become political or politicized, even when they are fairly innocent. So if you um, think about the, the debates around climate change, for example, if a, if a teacher wanted to introduce the question to her class, should we support the development of the Keystone Pipeline, we need to have an understanding of basic environmental um, you know, the reality of it and the environmental consequences of our oil dependency. And so um, the idea that there is climate change happening could become politically controversial, even though it's not controversial among scientists. So all of these issues make bringing up politics in the classroom particularly challenging. What the other part of this that's particularly challenging and interesting today is that as we move more towards common standards and things like Common Core, we run headlong against the fact that every state looks at these political issues in a different way, and it compounds the problem in so many respects. Right. One of the things that we found in the book is that that the context of the classroom really matters, and that there could be issues in one classroom, for example, same-sex marriage in some classes was talked a lot during the course of the study. Um, and in some classes, that was not at all controversial because everyone thought that it should be legally recognized. And in another classroom in another state, everyone thought the opposite. Um, and then in lots of classrooms, there's political diversity in the classroom. So um, 
definitely context matters, the state level context matters, the local community matters, and teachers really need to be aware of, you know, what will be controversial in my classroom and, and, sh- and how to shape the discussion so that they go well. Talk a little bit about what you hear from teachers, the pressure that it creates on them and the fear that it creates in them. Right. So a lot of the, te- the teachers we studied, we should say for the most part, were really committed to democratic principles and to teaching young people to be better prepared to live well within a democracy and to understand their political world. Um, and so I don't want to say that lots of, you know, that everyone's afraid to do this. There are lots of teachers doing it. And when it goes well, it's because the teacher is really skilled. When we talk to teachers who, you know, tend to rely on lecture, or want to avoid opening up controversial issues with young people, oftentimes it's because they might worry about parents. Sometimes a lot of that worry is not well-founded, but it's just something that they assume might be might happen. Um, Other teachers worry that they don't know enough to have the discussion go well. And if I open it up for a class discussion, students might say things that I don't know how to respond to. And then other teachers sort of don't have this, aren't clear how to set up a discussion in a way that it, that it will go well and be fair to all students. So teacher skill is part of the equation, but also the political climate is also part of the equation. What about administrators and what kind of buy-in does it take on their part in order to try and make this work even within the context of what you outline in this book? Administrators are really important. So we know that, um, you know, a lot of administrators are very um, sort of risk-averse <laughs> and want more than nothing to not have anyone, more than anything else, not to have parents complain. And so they might send the message to the social studies department, you know, avoid certain issues. After Ferguson, for example, you might have um, heard headlines that there were some administrators were saying, don't talk about this issue in school. Um, And we would like administrators to recognize that schools have a really important role to play in democracies, that teaching young people to understand their political world um, and to better understand how they want to fit into that political world is really important. And so administrators need to see that it's part of their job, too, to support teachers who want to do this kind of work. What kind of research, if any, has been done around the country to look at the impact and the outcomes for students that are allowed to participate in conversations about citizenship and democracy and politics and issues, all the things we've been talking about, versus those areas that are totally risk-averse and where the students don't get a chance to talk about them? Well, that was exactly the question that this book tries to answer with a study. And the study that we did, um, we collected data from 2005 to 2009 with 35 different teachers in 21 schools and in three states. And what we did was um, collected some of the teachers were primarily teachers who lectured and did very safe sort of, um, you know, risk-averse sort of pedagogy. And... Other, another set of the teachers engage their students in discussions of controversial political issues, at least some of the time. It wasn't like it happened. It didn't need to happen every single day, but um, that a significant amount of the curriculum um, included discussion. And what we found is that when teachers allow students to discuss and, and set up the discussions in a way in which they are effective, that at the end of the class, um, the students in the discussion classrooms were more interested in politics as a result of the class, they were reported that they followed the news more and that they were talking about politics with their family, friends, and coworkers. And so um, they also showed more Im- 
that showed better improvement in their knowledge of current events and political issues. So there were lots of really positive outcomes. Um, we're particularly pleased that young people wanted to talk about politics outside of class because democracies need that. We, you know, democracies require that we talk to our fellow citizens and see how other people are impacted by the political issues of the day. To what extent are the attitudes of the kids, are we finding a reflection of the parents? And to what extent is there independent thought that, that's being generated? Well, that's, that's a really interesting question, actually. When we interviewed teachers, this was often something that they were concerned about. So they would say the reason that we talk about political issues and the reason why I want students to discuss is because I want them to not just parrot their parents. I want them to critically think about whether or not I want to hold that view, too. Um, and so, I mean, I think that was maybe one of the primary reasons that teachers said that they wanted to do that. We found that was really interesting, that, that they were aware of the sort of danger of just adopting your parents' view without having thought about it yourself. And so um, to the extent that that's happening, it, we're not clear, but um, certainly certainly teachers have a perception that, that young people are picking up, first picking up political issues at home, which we know that's true, and then reflecting on them at school. What do we see as the nexus between contemporary political discussion and, and, and discussions about citizenship and democracy and the teaching of history? Well, so this is interesting. A lot of the classes in the study were the government classes or um, elective social studies classes, but there were U.S. history classes. And so uh, and I used to te be a U.S. history teacher myself, and I think using history to help young people understand why certain events are happening today um, is really important. So if if you're studying the civil rights era, for example, it's really powerful to maybe end that unit of study by looking at some of the civil rights issues of the day and helping young people think, well, how, how are we going to respond to the challenges we've got as young people? And so I think putting those two in conversation together really makes history more meaningful and makes following politics more meaningful. And talk a little bit about the places that you did this study and, and sort of the difference with respect to geography. So we were in three Midwestern states, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Indiana, and these presented very different political contexts. So at the time, Wisconsin was considered a battleground or purple state in the, in the recent elections. Illinois is a solidly blue state, but primarily it's blue in the urban areas. This is common across a lot of states. So Chicago is a very democratic city, but a lot of the outlying areas of Illinois are conservative. And then Indiana was a pretty, is a, at the time, a pretty solidly conservative state. So this provided us the ability to look at how teachers are behaving and teaching differently in different political contexts and how those um, different region, the, the regional differences do or do not reflect um, the, the students' political views in the classroom. The teachers that would get into trouble or where there was problems with administrators or parents, talk about how, how best they dealt with it. So to be clear, the, in our study... I'm trying to think. I don't think that we had any teachers talking about that they've gotten a lot of parental pushback, um, and so that's really positive. When we've presented um, some of the evidence and done teacher professional development around what we've learned from this study, we definitely do hear some teachers say that they've had 
you know, parents call up to, to question things that they had done in the classroom. And what those teachers who do, do well is they take the call and they listen to the parents' concerns, and then they have a really good and clear justification for why they've chose why they're talking about politics in the classroom. And very important is that they're able to tell the parent, explain to the parent what what different competing views have been presented in the class. Assure the parent. We're not here. I'm not here to try to convince students to hold a particular view on these issues. What we're trying to do is get young people talk about their differences with each other so that they learn how to have a good political conversation. So I think a lot of parents worry that what teachers are doing is sort of tilting the scales. But when teachers do this well, they're able to create a climate of sort of mutual respect and fairness. And, and I think that's really important. Talk about the things that you outline in the book that teachers need to do well in order to create this kind of neutral civics education. Yeah, so the teachers who were really good at this had a, had some tricks up their sleeves. So one thing is that they think about discussion as a skill that they're trying to develop in the class. So it's not assumed that the students already know how to have a political discussion. So they talk explicitly with with their with their students about what a good discussion looks like looks like how do you disagree with someone in a way that's respectful to their views and sort of really talk about discussion like you would talk about writing so what's a good what is makes what's good writing and what's good discussion those are two important skills that need to be developed in the classroom um, the teachers also prepared students for discussion and gave that so it wasn't these weren't teachers who just threw out an idea or a question and sort of saw who could pick up with it and play with it, but they gave students background materials to read in advance. They might have had discussed a video in preparation so they that you're getting everyone prepared to discuss and not just um, handing you know to the four or five students who have a, already have a view. Um, on the class, on the issue at hand, and then the last thing is that teachers were really attentive and, and skilled at getting students to talk to each other. So there's some classrooms in which, when teachers have discussion, it's always a comment given to the teacher. The teacher responds. Another student gives a comment to the teacher, and the teacher responds. But to use different discussion strategies so that you're giving students the opportunity to talk to each other is is a really important. Um, is an important skill that needs to be developed, too. Are we seeing students that evolve their views or change their views as a result of these discussions and interactions? We did So we did survey students at the beginning of their courses and at the end of their courses, and then two and four years out after high school. And some of the questions we asked were about their political views. So we know that young people, that their views were changing as a result of being in the class, but there was not... We didn't see movement of kids all coming to agree with each other. In fact, students, you know, their views on different issues would jump across the political spectrum sometimes or that students tended to become maybe less certain of their views, which is actually, I think, given the political climate, a good outcome is that we want people to to think, think long and hard. We don't want young people to leave the classroom and think, oh, these political issues are easy and simple because they're very complex and difficult. So um, I think the more information that students get, the more they discuss, um, they do move, but um, they also are becoming, they're seeing the complexity of the problems more than 
but they're simple. Do the students come at it with a view of overpolarization itself? Do they go into these discussions realizing what a polarized climate we exist in? You know, I think for the most part, teachers don't, when they're talking about political issues, they often don't put those issues in the political context. And this is one thing we really recommend in the book is that young people need to understand that their coming of age um, in, a, in an unusual time. And so we, the United States has not always been as polarized and partisan as it is today. And, and kids need to understand that. And they need to see, um, they also, you know, they're learning their political views. They're coming to understand, you know, current events and what their own political views are. And so to the extent that teachers can help them sort of become politically literate about, um, about how parties work, about how messaging works, about how, how, you know, where news and information comes from and what are, what are good sources and what are not good sources. These are all really important skills that young people need today. To what extent are local governments and local issues being used as a way into this? Because it is an area where, while that too has gotten polarized, it is arguably less polarized. The old story that there's not necessarily a Republican or a Democratic way to fix potholes mm-hmm. in the streets, that local government is often a good way to, to begin this discussion. I think you're absolutely right that local issues matter a lot and um, and that they used to be less partisan. Um, but you're also right that they're becoming more increasingly more so. Um, for the most part, you know, there were definitely teachers in the study who um, who did introduce their students to local and state issues. A lot of teachers don't. They, a lot of teachers, I think, tend towards the big federal national policies. Um, they're, they're a little bit sexier, those issues, sometimes, than, the, than the who's going to fill the pothole. But there are lots of organizations, like in, in Chicago, where I am, for example, that, are, that really try to get young people to identify an issue in their community um, and re- actually try to work towards solving that issue. And so those are really powerful types of civic education programs as well. And that's really an interesting point, because from a generational perspective, with each generation, there are different issues that, that really engage young people. Yes, for sure. And, and the millennials, our current, our current young people, um, they're an interesting group so far. So they are, for example, much more... Um, supportive of same-sex marriage. They moved on that issue much faster than um, their pre- the older generations. Um, they're more supportive of government um, for the most part, which is interesting, and, and thinking that the government, that the solutions to our social problems um, requires government action. And so that's a little bit, di- that's also different than the older generations. And then the young people today are um, they're more diverse. There's, there's a lot more racial and ethnic diversity than in the older cohorts. So that that often motivates some of the differences in these in in the in the in those generational differences. What is your sense of of the degree to which some of the things that you talk about in the political classroom can actually take hold? Can really spread in terms of increasing civic engagement among young people? Well, our findings show pretty positively that if you engage young people in discussions of controversial issues, that they do talk about politics more and they do become more interested in following the news and, um, you know, and willing, you know, they're better prepared to engage politically. That doesn't mean that um, because I'm able to have a better conversation, you know, with my family and friends, that that's going to change 
the overall, you know, political climate. Um, there's lots of issues that are affecting this from, from our, you know, our tendency now to live and work with people who think like we do politically. Um, income inequality is being shown to contribute significantly to the partisan climate. So there's these very big issues that are harder than um, we should be able to talk to each other more civilly, though talking to each other civilly is really important. So I think that we should be reasonable about what schools can do and contribute to improving the political climate, but we also have issues that are well beyond the school's ability to solve. And is there a component of this, or should there be a component of this, that brings the family and the parents into the equation, into the discussion? Well, you know, what what we found, again, is that when young people talk about politics in the classroom, they often do start talk, talking about politics at home as well. Um, and that can be that can be a good experience or a challenging experience, depending, depending on what they bring home. But I think it it is really, I find it really positive when, when we interview students and they say, oh, you know, I, I sat down with my mom last night and watched the State of the Union address, and I would never have done that before. And so, you know, a lot of people, families struggle with political issues, and I think to the extent that we can give young people um, the skills to sort of, you know, talk more openly with their families and, um, and more positively, I think those are, those are great outcomes. Paula McAvoy, her book is The Political Classroom, Evidence and Ethics in Democratic Education. Paula, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.